Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, it is Drew here with Connor Josh talking about the crazy week in MLS and soccer here in the U.S. and abroad. But before we get into another awesome episode, I think Connor gets the lead off this week. So Connor, how you doing, bud? I'm good. Got a week down in classes. Finished my week technically today because we started on a Tuesday, uh, which is fun. So yeah, looking forward to tomorrow. Maybe I don't know. I got a six-hour class tomorrow, so that's gonna be fun. Um, but yeah, just grinding, getting used to online school because Canada have brains and they're doing that as opposed to some places, uh, which I'm sure Drew will get into. <laughs> but yeah, living, I guess, is a good thing. Josh, how are you doing? I've seen better days. Today specifically was not so good. Work was just uh, not good. Bad, bad work day today. So not what you want on a Monday, not how you want to start the week, but... The rest of my week was fine. Nothing too exciting. Obviously, just playing soccer. I was also be- I've also been watching the Spurs documentary on Amazon Prime. That's been pretty good. So, if there was a bright spot to today, it was watching. They they release episodes on Mondays, so I watched a new episode this oh, morning. They do? That was pretty good. Yeah, okay. they they release them in bunches of three. So now the whole series is in out. Three. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Ah. So only two more episodes for me to go and then i'll be uh all caught up just in time i i was so excited to see them in action this weekend forgot the premier league is back and uh yeah it was terrible everton was so much better so back to spurs in it up although do you want to say the liverpool leeds game was oh chef's my kiss God, that was a good game i was so was excited so, good. so excited all week kept telling my friends i was like the game i'm most looking forward to liverpool and leeds and it lived up to all the billing. Drew, you look like you just had a revela- revelation. I wonder if it's about Jack Harrison. Yes, I was wondering who yes. what his name was, who scored there the goal. Go. That was so awesome. That was <laughs> such a good goal, and I didn't know he played. When he scored, I didn't know it was him, and the commentators were like, the NYCFC product, and I lost my mind. In front of my roommate, who's a Liverpool fan, and he is like the stereotypical MLS is trash person. <laughs> so when an MLS product did that to the defending champions, Amazing. I got so happy. Hey, man. That's a Wake Forest product for you. They didn't play college soccer. No, but that goal was awesome for me, too, because I'm playing as leads in my FIFA career mode. I, I tweeted I this, this to Connor. Kind of- yeah. I score that goal on FIFA all the time. It's a long ball from Brandon Phillips in the middle, hit Harrison on the wing, and he's just so fast in the game. So, honestly, seeing that like actually happen in person was pretty amazing. But, Drew, other than that game, how was your week? I had a very eventful week. Um, like Connor said, classes are going, and the COVID situation at the University of Georgia could be much, much better, but I digress. Um, but yeah, Premier League came back. Newcastle got a 2 nothing win, I think, and Miggy had an assist like mm-hmm. right after he came on the field, so that was awesome. Uh, NFL came back. Falcons <laughs> lost to the Seahawks, so that was a major bummer. I think Monday Night Football is happening right it's now. It's not being a very good week in Atlanta sports. Uh, yeah. The Braves are currently Braves are losing to the powerhouse Baltimore Orioles by like <laughs> ten runs right now. Yeah, last I saw it was ten nothing, like a few, yeah. like an hour or two. Yeah. I think we scored Orioles a run. By ten. 
It's yeah. bad, man. Atlanta's in a rough patch right <laughs> it's now. It's not, not but going no, to be no, it's okay. Place. It's okay, guys. You just signed Pablo Sandoval. He'll solve all your issues. Yeah, what the heck is that, man? To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a minor league contract, uh, too. <laughs> uh, I love sports. It's so much fun. And that Jack, We'll go back to soccer for a second because that Jack Harrison goal, I wanted to go back to a sec- for a second. He cut in on Trent Alexander-Arnold, and I think was it Virgil van Dijk as well? He, I think, I think he would have been on that side, yeah. He did two of the best defenders on the planet, which, wow. Also, MLS, everybody, look at what you could get. Um, yeah, I loved this weekend. Uh, did Pulisic play today? He did not. He's not healthy enough yet. Although another former NYCFC player, Jan Herrera, he scored in La Liga. He scored the league's first goal of the season on their opening day. So... NYCFC had quite the day on Saturday abroad. La Liga and Premier League scoring their first goals. Pretty good stuff. Probably helps when you're owned by Manchester City. Yeah, uh, whatever. They, they <laughs> did it on a baseball field, so they can do it anywhere. That's true. That's true. Very true. Uh, let's dive into our actual topics this week as opposed to just talking randomly about uh, the Premier League, which I'm sure Drew and I could talk about because I know we're both in... Ivan Ornelas, who we've had on the podcast before, his fantasy Premier League league. I need to check on my sense? team. I hope I'm doing good. I haven't checked today. Really? You should. Uh, I think you were doing okay, or you were at the very bottom. I can't remember. Oh, man. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, if you took Salah this week, good on you. That was a good selection. Speaking of Europe, Alex Morgan, someone who we've talked about a bit on the podcast who has sort of been surrounded in controversy a little bit in the past signed with Tottenham Hotspurs women's team for a year or until the end of the year. What did you guys think about this deal? And what do you think about her going to England after that stupid tea sipping celebration that I hated? Oh my God. Well, first off, that was the best celebration ever because when you win World Cups, you can do whatever you want. Um, but I'm, I was very surprised about this because I think she posted something on Instagram about going to Orlando to train with the Pride, um, which I don't think most people expected that given the weird circumstances and she just had a child. Um, so when I saw that she was going to Orlando, I was pretty excited to see her in the fall series. Um, and to see her go to the WSL, go to Tottenham was pretty surprising. And I think the athletic released today, that was a pretty fast moving transfer. I think it like in three days, it went from this idea to officially happening. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about it. Again, we've talked a lot about NWSL players going to Europe and what that means with the CBA. And I think there's still some questions about that, but I mean, when you look at the fall series, it's what like four games that really don't carry any meaning and playing in the WSL, you're playing, a lot more than four games. You're playing competitive matches against really good teams. So the NWSL fan in me is pretty disappointed to not see her in the fall series, but she's fighting for that Olympic qualifying spot. She hasn't played in a long time, and she's going to play against really good teams at Tottenham uh, with you know United, with Preston Heath, uh, City with Lavelle Mewis, Chelsea with Jesse Fleming, um, Sam Kerr, and just that really good team. So I'm excited about it. Um, it came out of nowhere, but it's continuing the trend. So I'm okay with it. I think that might be the last of the NWSL players going to Europe. I don't know who else is in the talks because I think the transfer deadline already passed, but we'll see what happens. So I'm thrilled about it. I'm excited to see her on the field again. Josh, what did you think about the transfer? Yeah, as a Spurs fan, I'm pretty excited about it. I One of my roommates who's also a Spurs fan, I think he came down later that day, and I was like, dude, Spurs just signed one of the best strikers in the world. And he was like, oh, who? And I was like, dude, Alex Morgan. He's like, Awesome. So it was pretty funny. I know for a second he's probably thinking about the, the men's team. But, um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see her go over there, especially, like I said, as a Spurs fan. And, uh, you know, last week we kind of talked about the pros and cons of losing all these players. But, you know, I think at the end of the day it's kind of a, a win-win for everybody. It's, I think it's helping the exposure of the NWSL. And as many people have pointed out this past week, there's so much depth and so many great young players that we haven't gotten to see yet. And the fall series is going to provide them an opportunity to sort of break out on the stage. And an interesting aspect that I didn't even consider, but with Louisville coming into the picture next season, 
there are these kind of fringe players that need to audition and try out for these expansion clubs that are coming in and the expansion drafts that will be coming not only next year but also the following year with with Los Angeles. So I think that's a really interesting aspect of it too, that as these stars kind of get out of the way, it makes way for potential future stars and all this depth talent that exists in the States. So really cool, like I said, a win-win for everybody. So I'm I'm really excited to, to see her over there and I'm looking forward to what she can do. Was this a loan move or a complete sale? I believe it was a loan move to the end of the 2021 season. Okay, that's sort of what I thought. I think it, I think it makes sense for her. Uh, a, she gets out of the U.S., no offense. Uh, but as a new mother, I'm sure the whole situation isn't exactly ideal. And I know the U.K. hasn't handled it superbly either, but they're definitely doing a little bit better than the U.S., um, because that really isn't difficult. But I digress. Uh, I like the move. I think she's going to probably get some playing time. It's going to be a new experience for her and her family. Um, so if she supported it and if she wanted to do it, got on her. We'll see if she can tackle England for, I guess, what, four months, five months? Uh, but yeah, uh, let's talk new schedule. Because MLS finally released the plans for Phase 2? I think that's what they're calling it. Even though we've already had MLS's back, so I guess that doesn't count as a phase? That was its own thing. Uh, MLS, please. Just please. Phase Uh, zero. Phase zero. There we go. That's (laughs) the answer. Um, Yeah, so MLS released its schedule. They have some interesting developments specifically surrounding Canada and what the Canadian teams are doing in Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver are going to the States and they'll be playing their home. I put in air quotes, home games, not at home, uh, at various stadiums. So Montreal at Red Bull arena, Vancouver are in Portland and Toronto are at some university in or college in Connecticut even though university and college is the same thing, you just all call it weird things. Um, you all. You all, yes, you Americans. You. It's y'all down here, thank you very much. There we go. I, I need to use your natural dialect, you're right, sorry, <laughs> my, my fault. I, I don't know what to think about this whole plan, this whole schedule. On one hand, I do get to see Toronto play not Montreal and Vancouver, which not seeing Vancouver play is quite enjoyable because their play style is just no. Uh, seeing Montreal play, eh, I'm okay with it. I'm glad that they're playing at their own stadium, not an MLS-affiliated stadium, and it's on grass. I think that's great. Montreal at Red Bull Arena, okay. Vancouver and Portland, is the air going to be good enough is my big question with the wildfires. They played in Vancouver yesterday. As we're recording this, we recorded on Monday nights, obviously. They played in Van- in Montreal, played Vancouver, and the air quality was not great, and that's an indoor stadium, or can be indoor stadium. So we'll see what happens surrounding that, because I think Portland's already had to delay a game, correct? I don't think so. Not, not the men's side. I know the Thorns, they just had to postpone. I think that news came down today, but I don't think the... Uh the men's side of things has been affected at all yet although that might happen in the next couple of days where something changes okay yeah because that situation doesn't look amazing uh right now with all the wildfires and the air quality issues and if you are in the western side of the u.s we are thinking of you uh what do you guys think about this whole plan the schedule what do you think about it for the canadian teams where do you sort of stand on it I think it works up to an extent. I mean, it's good that they figured something out for these next three games. And yes, they don't have to just face each other, the Canadian teams. So I think that's good that they figured that out. However, what the heck is going to happen when they're done with these three games? Because then if they're going to try to go back to uh, back to Canada, then there's the two-week quarantine minimum, right? So that in and of itself is going to cause problems for all the teams in Canada by themselves, and if they decide to allow X amount of teams from the States to come over to play the next phase of games, then they also have to quarantine. So what, are you just going to 
plug in a two-week break into the schedule. I don't think that's really possible with all the games that they're trying to fit in. So I don't know what's going to happen. I think it would suck for the Canadian teams if they were forced to stay stateside, you know, for however long. And I don't really foresee the league working out something with the government. I feel like the Canadian government, rightfully so, has been pretty strict as far as leagues go. You got something, Connor? Yeah, so around the whole government thing, the rumors are the government doesn't want to make a decision until the election in the States, which... That's still a while away in in terms of sports. Yeah, in terms of sports leagues, that's a ways away. It's like a month and a half, and that's not really feasible for MLS. So I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if... like. The NHL did allow, or Canada did allow the NHL teams to come into the U.S., but that was in a, or into Canada. God, I'm, woof. Um, They did allow NHL teams to come to Canada in a bubble. I don't know if MLS will want to do a second bubble and force the U.S. teams to come north. I think the Canadian teams are probably going to get the short end of the stick in this entire situation because they always do. And when you look at what happened with baseball, I think it's probably inevitable, but maybe I'm completely off base. Drew, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I agree with your take that I think the Canadian teams are going to get the short end of the stick, and which stinks because it feels like they just got out of that bubble in Florida, and now they got a little bit of freedom, and then it feels like they're going to have to come back to another bubble in the United States. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's what they had to do in the situation, not ideal, but to get them out of playing the same three teams over and over again, um, you just got to do what you got to do. And, yeah, I thought you bring up a really good point with the wildfires. I think that was kind of just another crazy thing in this season that throws another curveball in the plants. I just don't know why Vancouver didn't go to Seattle because while Vancouver and Portland isn't far away compared to the other cities, Seattle's much, much closer. Um, yeah, and Toronto's going to be playing in Pratt and Whitney Stadium in Connecticut, which is the home of the University of Connecticut's football team, football and soccer team. And those sports, at least for football, football has been canceled this year. So Toronto is going to be alone in Connecticut with that. But yeah, it's a situation that these teams are in right now. And I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen after these three games, whether or not they're kind of forced into a bubble in the States. Or maybe they play Canadian Premier League teams. I don't know if that's even a possibility because you talk about MLS playoffs. And when you have Toronto FC playing cavalry in Edmonton when U.S. teams are playing other MLS sides that kind of throws a different curveball into the plans um side note I watched Canadian Premier League like the other day it's on TV now for some reason when I get TV so I've been watching Canadian Premier League I think the CPL sold rights to was it ESPN I think it's Fox Fox it was one of the big stations I was shocked when that came out a couple weeks ago uh but yeah that's huge for the CPL yeah, so maybe that's an option. Again, that throws a really big curveball when you're talking playoffs. So I don't know, maybe this is a good situation for these three games, but they have a big decision coming ahead of them. Yeah, and another thing that people aren't really paying attention to, or at least people in the U.S., uh, Canadian soccer fans are, is the Voyager's Cup is still going on, which is the cup that decides which team from Canada goes to Champions League. And by the time MLS leaves and this entire stuff has been finalized uh, because it's still up in the air who's going to qualify in the other side of the I guess championship game which are doing CPL versus MLS uh, because if Montreal win on Wednesday they face the winner of the CPL Island games and if they lose or tie Toronto do by the time that that happens there won't be enough time to play that game so we don't know when that Voyager's Cup's going to happen, which means we don't know when Canada's going to have their Champions League spot filled out, if there's a Champions League, which probably very unlikely. But that's another just wrench that's been thrown into the fire of everything that's happening right now. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see just sort of what happens in that whole situation and how these teams do uh, and how they adapt. But let's talk transfers because that's fun stuff that I like talking about. Gonzalo Higuain is now in Miami. I didn't personally see him being as the favorite to join Miami. I was a little surprised that it was him instead of Luis Suarez. But rumors are he's 
not had the deal announced, but he was pictured with Jorge Mas. And there were rumors that the contract he's going to sign is $7.5 million a year, which is a lot of money for an aging, I think he's 34, striker who isn't the most mobile or mobile, mobile, mobile on the planet. Yeah, same thing. What do you guys think about this transfer? Do you like it for Miami or do you hate it? I know, Josh, you're anti-European old guys, but... Well, there's a there's an important distinction in that. If it's an aging midfielder, I think it's a concern. But if it's a striker, I think it's really feasible with how poor the defending is in general in the league and just how you can be more successful as a striker with less mobility because you can read things, I think, a little easier, and you can sort of predict. And if you have, you know, really good goal-scoring acumen, like Gonzalo Higuain has, or Zlatan, or you name it, as far as these older strikers go, experience kind of wins out, I think. Whereas in the midfield, you, you have to still have that physicality because the midfield is just the most physical part of the field, at least in my opinion. So I think this is a good signing for Miami. Now, uh, again, I think we talked about it last week, but I've seen debates as to whether or not they needed a creative midfield player or that star striker. Some people think they've been creating the chances, they just haven't had the right people finishing them, in which case Higuain, perfect signing. But then there are other people that have been saying they have good enough finishers in Robbie Robinson and Julian Carranza, but they haven't had the right chances created. So we're obviously going to see whether or not it turns out to be the right call picking up Higuain. But I think to start with, really good move. I think he will provide them with plenty of goals and just help them be a little bit more of that you know attacking team that I think they've wanted to be this entire time. Drew, what do you think about the Higuain coming to Miami? Um, yeah, I'm pretty much on the same boat as you when it comes to old European guys coming to the league. But it still feels like Higuain has a couple more years in him. I think, yeah, he's like 32, 34-ish. So he's definitely past his prime, but he still has some years in the tank, I think. And, yeah, I think he's going to open a lot for Rodolfo Pizarro to work. Um, yeah, there's a – I don't think – they haven't really – I think they scored three goals once, and then the game after that they got shut out. So I think Higuain's going to provide a more consistent attacking threat. Um, whether or not he's worth that $7.5 million a year is another question that I guess we'll find out as he plays. But, yeah, I think – I'm a fan of it. I'm excited to see what he'll do. Obviously, we've seen him do it. In Europe, succeed in Europe, and also not do so good in Europe. Um, but I think he's the main thing. I think he's going to open the door for Pizarro to give him some more space, give him some freedom to play as good he is, and find Higuain in the box um, and let him do his thing. So I'm a fan of it. Usually, I'm not a fan of getting these older European players, but I think Josh made a really good point about the midfielder versus striker aspect of it. So I'm pretty excited about it. Again, I was kind of hoping for Luis Suarez, but Higuain. That rumor kept going, and then he saw the picture, and it's like, okay, that's going to happen. So I'm pretty excited about it, um, see what Miami does with these three games. I don't think Atlanta's going to play them as much as they've played them before, so we'll get to see him in the league. But, yeah, I'm excited about it. But sticking with transfers, um, Toronto FC, Connor, is getting a new player, uh, Tony Gallagher. Uh, he's from Liverpool, and he's on loan with Toronto FC until the end of December. Uh, he's 21 years old, so he's still pretty young. He's a left back. Connor, what did you make of Toronto FC's newest player? Because I think news came official today. Yeah, it was officially announced today by Toronto FC on their uh, Twitter and I guess social medias. Uh, it's been it was rumored that a Scottish left back, I think it was him, I can't remember exactly, was going to join Toronto and he was currently in quarantine uh, a day or two ago. So it wasn't a huge shock, but I didn't know who it was and. With our left-back depth, we only have really three fullbacks in Richie Larea, Aro Jr., and Justin Morrow. And Morrow's getting up there in age, and he's experienced some injuries. So I think it was time, and they needed to bring in a backup or another fullback. And this kid sounds pretty legit. He, I believe he played for Kits in the Scottish Premier League until he was sold to Liverpool. So... Anytime you can bring in someone from Liverpool probably isn't a bad idea because, you know, they're very good. Uh, Scottish kid, which means I automatically like him as a part Scott. And I just like the deal. I think there's very low risk and potentially high reward if he works out. 
if he even plays. Fanny hates playing young kids, so who knows? But I like the move. I think it's great. He's represented Liverpool pretty consistently on the U- their U23 team. He's played for Scotland, uh, like U19, U21, all the way up. Uh, and he got his first cap for Liverpool back in December in a Curacao Cup loss to Aston Villa. So he's got at least a little bit of experience in the first team for Liverpool. So if he's able to do that, he's got to be at least decent. I know you guys probably don't know anything about this kid, but what do you think about this signing? I'm with you, Connor. You know, I think it's a low risk, high reward. You know, again, this is a kid from Liverpool, so he's got to have some sort of talent if he was that close to being in the first team anyway. I know that Carabao Cup game was when they were they were doing what Club World Cup, so they had to play two games in the same day. I, I imagine that's what it was at least. So, um, yeah, you know, like you said, low risk, high reward. Could be really good for Toronto down this stretch, especially with how many congested matches there are. Or it could just be whatever. So, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I don't really know a whole lot about this guy, but he's playing for Liverpool. He's a pretty good player, and we'll see what kind of experience he gets in Toronto. And because he's on loan, so maybe Liverpool want him back. Maybe he'll get to extend his stay in Toronto. So I'm a fan of it. Yeah, any defensive help Toronto can get right now is very needed and very welcome. So I'm not going to complain. Who's hold on? Who's the starting left back right now currently? Justin Morrow. Okay. He's good, but he is getting older. And he's had a couple injuries now. So I think it's just bringing in some depth and bringing in another body just really solidify this team. But let's talk about another transfer because I want to get to this right now because this is just going to be so much fun. Atlanta United are rumored to be associated with Marcelino Moreno. I don't know anything about him. What do you guys know about this guy? And do you think he'll be a welcome addition to Atlanta United? I think all I'm going to want to know about him is he's coming from the same club as Miguel Almiron. So I'm going to assume that that's a good sign, good omen. Uh, beyond that, I can't. I feel like personally I can't get too excited. I believe we talked about it last week, but I just think bringing in a player without a manager is just so dumb. You know, you look back at the, the best players for Atlanta United, you know, Yes, there was influence from Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Eels, but at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure that was all Tata in hindsight. And the players that have been brought in since and that have left since Tata left have been under the decision-making of Eels and Bocanegra, and it's been a lot more inconsistent, a lot more spotty. So I'm a little worried about that. Also, they brought in P.T. Martinez without a coach at the time, and we all saw how that worked out. So color me cautiously optimistic, about this potential, Drew, another person in Atlanta, what do you think about the the rumors that we'll be getting Marcelino Moreno? I thought getting Pity Martinez, he Pity had very big shoes to fill following Almiron's very successful purchase and then selling to Europe. I think this guy might possibly have even bigger shoes to fill because automatically, like you said, you associate Linus with Almiron. And I think I think I said this in last week's episode, but the success of that Almiron transfer, I think, set such a high standard for buying players from South America, experiencing incredible success, winning championships, and making millions off of them to a transfer to Europe. And I think Pity Martinez is honestly, maybe even Ezekiel Barco showed that it's not as simple as maybe the Almiron transfer made it look that it was, that there are some possible bumps in the road. And like Josh mentioned, hiring adding such a key player before a manager is a pretty self-inflicted bump in the road I feel like um so he has a lot of big shoes to fill um again I mean he came from Linus and obviously that produced a really good player in Almiron so it's I agree the cautiously cautiously optimistic take I think is correct um he could be something really special if if they sign him and then they hire a coach that kind of lines up with that well maybe Learning from the Frank DeBoer experiment taught them the hard way um, about finding coaches that mesh with the players, but it's just hard for me to see hiring a coach after such a key player because it feels like you're buying all in on this player, you're buying him on being a really big success, and then hiring a coach afterward that might not see eye to eye seems very risky. Um, And the way it's going, coaches have pretty short leashes in Atlanta with DeBoer getting fired after that pretty bad MLS's back campaign. So he has really big shoes to fill. Um, we'll see if he does it. I don't know if he'll do it as well as Amaran did from winning championships and going to Europe. But 
I think the cautiously optimistic take is a correct one for sure. It's interesting that you guys say that about a guy who I hadn't personally heard of uh, before you even brought this rumor up. I didn't even see it today uh, personally, but I think any help Atlanta could get right now will be useful. Uh, And Pitti Martinez has proven that you don't necessarily need to be the most successful in order to earn a profit off of a player. And worst case scenario, you do the same thing with this guy. Uh, His transfer market value is $4.4 right now, which that's not insane. And I don't know if it'll take much more to get him, even if it's like five or six million. If you do incur a loss, it isn't world ending for Atlanta. So I see it as a potentially worthy risk, but it is a risk in it of itself. Let's talk this game because you're very tired and very sad. Josh, what do you have to say? Before we get into the sad stuff, I did want to throw okay. in. I think, I think if they get him as a DP, they might be able to buy him down with Tam. Or this might be a Tam signing, kind of like the Inter Miami Matuidi deal. If it turns out to be that, I would consider this a huge move for Atlanta. I think it'd be very, very savvy. But again, we've got to wait for it to happen and to be detailed. On to the sad stuff. I, 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 I think it's the worst. LA United has ever looked and I know recency bias is a big thing but in the context of everything else that has been happening with the team I think that's why it's just so much worse than anything that's ever happened with the club because you know Drew mentioned it last week got embarrassed by Toronto to close out the season in 2018 but in the grand scheme of things nobody cares we got the MLS Cup just a few weeks later anyway or you look back earlier in that season when we got flat out embarrassed to Red Bulls, 2 nothing on the road. Same kind of deal. And I think even last year in Champions League and whatever other big, big games that have happened, even when Atlanta falls, in the grand scheme of things, it, it doesn't matter because trophies happen. Uh, that's not happening this time. It's not. There's no trophies headed Atlanta's way. They look worse than awful. Getting scored on in the first moment minute is just a horrendous feeling. I I don't say I wouldn't wish it on anybody else because if Atlanta's doing it to someone else, then heck yeah, but it's it's a bad feeling to, to be on the end of it. Drew, what were your takeaways from like watching that game? Yeah, I think after losing to Cincinnati, MLS is back. I think Felipe Cardenas or someone from the Athletic had like one of those like open discussion threads, there's like ask your questions about the game. And I asked them, was that the worst performance Atlanta United's ever had? And in my head, I was thinking to the first game of 2018 when Atlanta got embarrassed by Houston. I think it was like four nothing performance. It was something terrible like that. But like Josh said, like the next week they won. And then normal Atlanta United came back months later lifting MLS Cup. So those really bad performances, it felt like these spinoffs, that this weird bump in the road where you just get flat out embarrassed, forget the match, go on to the next one, and it all works out. But this has been a string of losing to Cincinnati, the worst team in the league last year, losing to Nashville, an expansion team, and getting just flat out embarrassed. I mean, that first scoring in the first minute, and then getting a throw-in, Atlanta having a throw-in, and then 30 seconds later, Nashville scores. I don't understand how that happens. So this is unlike anything we've ever seen from Atlanta United. Granted, it's only been three years, but this is just such... It's not just those weird one-off losses. It's a continuation of it can't get any worse from here, and somehow it gets worse. Letting in four goals to Nashville is just preposterous. After winning that game, their first game beating them, if you had told me that, Months later, you'd be letting in, you'd be losing four to two to Nashville. I'd say there's no way. So it's the worst I think the club's ever looked. I, it's weird going into every week expecting to lose at this point, given the success the team's had in three years. So it's, yeah, I don't see it can get worse from here, but it's hard to imagine anything getting worse from here. Um, Connor, as an outside person watching the success, the, the, the collapse of the king. The king has fallen. Look at that the smile. Three years old. Look I really shouldn't smile. ask this question. 
watching <laughs> this, as Alexi Lawless loves to call it, the former super club. What is it like <laughs> watching this team absolutely collapse in front of your eyes? We need to start doing video podcasts just so people can see our faces. Uh, but all I have to say is classic Atlanta United fans overreacting to three months of losing. Get used to it. Uh, you're lucky that you started off as well as you did. So you deserve a little bit of suffering. Lucky yeah. deserve suffering? Oh my yeah. gosh. I'm going to jump through this computer screen at you, Connor. Deserve suffering as if we don't suffer enough, my man. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe this right now. I don't. I don't want to go into the details. We already did it earlier today. You, Braves, Falcons, Hawks. You, you name Georgia Bulldogs. Even proximity, man, to the city of Atlanta, and it's just, it's like the the Midas touch, but whatever the opposite of everything turns to gold is. Everything turns to crap. Oh, I wanted us an argument so badly with you. This is going to be so much fun. No, there's nothing fun about this. <laughs> Drew, Drew's right, man. The worst part about this is just the the expectation that they're going to lose. He he's right. It's new. You should be used to that, though. Well, and you know what? Not the with thing this is? club, though. Yeah, it's it, this is this has been the best part, honestly, about Elaine and I. The best part to people in the city is one. It's a brand new team, so everyone here can immediately cheer for the same team because Atlanta is known as a transplant city. So even if you're a football fan, you might be from Texas. You might be a Dallas fan. You're not going to go to a Falcons game. You don't care about them unless Dallas is in town. And it's the same with all the sports teams. And so to finally have a team that everyone can kind of call their own and for it to be good, like from the beginning, like people were losing their minds. It's like not a thing. It's not possible. And you know what? You joke about, sorry, it sounds like I'm getting serious. <laughs> if you can't tell, he's currently dying laughing as well at the same time, um, so he's not mad. Listen, Although you, I you wouldn't can, blame him. You can joke about, like, we should expect this, but here's the funniest part about all that. And I think Drew was a writer at this point, but I can't remember. Every week during those 2018 playoffs in the Slack for MLS Multiplex, people would ask, what are your guys' predictions for these playoff games? And every game I would say, I'm expecting Atlanta to lose. And every time, all the other writers would be like, you're crazy, like, they're so good. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is what happens. The Atlanta sports team puts together a really good sports season, and then they get into their sports playoffs, and then they get annihilated in an embarrassing fashion. So I was glad to be wrong every single week when I said the Atlanta United football club would lose their playoff games in 2018. But now that it's actually happening, it's a horrible feeling. And honestly, the worst part is, like, everything feels super dysfunctional. It'd be different if it felt like there was a a plan in place. But no, there's not. And it's just real rough sledding right now. The only tiny light at the end of this, like, horrible, dark, terrible tunnel is that this isn't a permanent coach currently. It'd be a lot worse if... We just hired a coach, and he was doing this horribly to start. So I think there's a little bit of uh, a little bit leeway given to the club for not having a full time permanent manager in place. So we can hope that they'll bring in someone great and they'll turn things around. Ignoring the fact completely that you don't have Joseph Martinez, your best player by a country mile, you've literally just sold your entire team in the off season. That's a good phrase, by the way. Thank you. Um, good southern phrase. <laughs> that's a southern th- phrase okay by country mile oh yeah okay <laughs> atlanta are an interesting case study right now because they're a team who has experienced a ton of success since their inauguration three years ago as their roster page on mls.com will show you which is the dumbest thing on the planet if you don't know they put s- the supporters as a t- player number 17 and they're three years old it's the dumbest thing ever and i don't know why they do it but alas here we are i think atlanta united are an interesting case study because you are missing your best player and we can't forget that and you don't have a manager and they're going through a phase of change which is something you guys aren't used to because most of your change goes downwards. As a Toronto sports fan, I can appreciate that as well as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Recently, Toronto has started to experience success. 
And I know what that feeling's like with how you felt with Atlanta. Saying that, it also doesn't hurt that Atlanta United are currently struggling a little bit. And I don't really know how to wrap this up because I don't think Atlanta know how to wrap this up. <laughs> I don't know, think they know how they're going to fix things without Joseph Martinez. And if he doesn't come back from his injury the way he was before, and he's coming back from a pretty serious knee injury, and one of his biggest talents, I guess, is his speed, Atlanta could be in a lot of trouble. And I really don't know where they go if he isn't who he is. And if he doesn't show that he can still play to the level he can play at, they don't have that striker. They're not going to be very good. What did you guys sort of think about this game and this past week, apart from obviously the manager and not having Joseph, where do you think the real problems are coming from? And how do you think that they address them? I think... I mean, there's so I think I mean, I guess you should have to look at the defense. Like it just feels dysfunctional, and just turning the ball over in these weird spots and just these terrible passing ways, just lethargic. I mean, again, like I mentioned earlier, you have a throw, your own throw in, and then it feels thirty seconds later the ball's in the back of the net. Like, how does that happen? They're turning the ball over in very bad positions, and I don't think it's so much that these teams are pressing them really well. It's just they're just making these terrible passes whether it's you're making the wrong pass or you're getting the right pass and just executing it poorly Um, you have players way too high up the field they get called out and then the defense doesn't know what to do so I mean it's weird when you think about United thinking about defense but the defense just seems dysfunctional at this point um maybe losing Leandro Gonzalez Perez is a part of that um I know you saw Franco Escobar and Miles Robinson have been with the club before but you have Anton Walks and Fernando Meza, I think, are the other two in that back four, and they're new to the team. So, I mean, maybe that's part of it, but I feel like at this point, this it shouldn't be as bad as it is. Um, so it's just feel like dysfunctional defense, trying to play out of the back, making bad passes mentally and just executing poorly. Um, so when I watch Atlanta United, my attention is now turned to just getting the ball out of your own half, getting it out of your own third, getting into the midfield, and maybe getting something from there. But even then, it's not working out well. But I think it's just starting from a really dysfunctional defense and players making bad individual errors that they just can't, really can't recover from. And teams are taking advantage of it. They're getting these mistakes, and they're putting it away. Josh, where do you think Atlanta needs to do from here? I mean, again, you know, I don't really think there's much they can do. It's kind of got to be like a mulligan on this season. And I... I Part of me thinks that's how they're approaching the rest of it, but they're still going out and getting the, the DP players. We'll see. But I, I don't know at this point if it's like a player mentality issue, and I hope Stephen Glass can do what he can as interim manager to sort of help fix that to the best of his ability. But they just they just look so lost in everything, and you can't put all the blame on glass and you can't put all the blame on the players, but collectively it's all failing in every single facet. And even if Joseph was out there, I don't think he, he would help paper over some paper over some of the cracks. Sure. But at the end of the day, there's just so many foundational issues with the team and, and frankly with the club again, hopefully it gets kind of addressed and they pick up the pieces, get a solid manager that can help turn the culture around, turn things around. But for right now, Again, not really a pretty end in sight, except for a little bit. Uh, Connor, you had one more thing, and then we'll move on to a couple of the other games. Yeah, I just want to ask one follow-up question, which we can answer very quickly. If you have to pin it down to one thing, what is Atlanta United's biggest issue right now? Is it fitness? Is it talent? Is it tactics? What do you think it is? I think it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I think it's true. I think it's just a manager um, again, you can't really blame Stephen Glass right now because he's just inherited this awful situation. He's coming up from Atlanta United too. But I think getting a manager with an identity and kind of feeling like a step forward, this new breath, breath of fresh air into the club that the oldest pass is really bad stretch of games is at least in the rearview mirror. So I think hiring a manager would be step one. Um, and then from there, getting players, DPs that fit that style. So one thing I would say, a manager biggest thing for me is talent recruitment talent acquisition 
the supporting cast is not good enough. I Again, even if you don't have Joseph or even if you don't have a permanent manager, you look at all the old players, Vialba, sorely missed. Gressel, sorely missed and seems miserable in D.C. I would be. LGP, foundational piece for years for the club. Nagby, obviously, irreplaceable no matter what. But, yeah, they just they haven't done a good enough job cycling through talent, I think. And, yes, getting a manager is a good start, but hopefully Bocanegra and Eels in the front office figure it out and they start getting the proper players for the club and, and start spending a lot smarter. But moving on, speaking of lack of talent, uh, San Jose, they rotated their squad midweek. No offense, it's their it's their de- their depth, their backup that was really struggling. They rotated a little bit of their squad, and they certainly paid the price. We got a touchdown in Seattle, and I'm not talking about the Seahawks because they were in Atlanta embarrassing the Falcons this past weekend. Nope, I'm talking about the Seattle Sounders. They beat San Jose seven to one, and it was it just a, lot a worse. touchdown, touchdown and the extra point. Yep, exactly. So. Yeah, and, and you know what? Again, it could have been a lot worse. Daniel Vega made a few good saves despite his really horrible track record as a goalkeeper, putting it nicely. But record-breaking victory for Seattle. Uh, I was watching the game after I saw it was 2-0 in like the first 10 minutes, and I saw those two goals, and I watched all the goals after that, and boy, I was waiting for Seattle to just kind of take a step back and ping it around the back a little bit, take their foot off the gas, and they did not. They did not. And then, you know, honestly, I realized maybe it's because of San Jose's style. You either can play through them or get punished. So I think Seattle was just kind of like, we only have one option here, and it's to just score tons of goals and just ram it down San Jose. So, unfortunate for the Earthquakes. What do you guys take away from these games this week? Um, From the Seattle game, I thought which I think I guess we'll talk more about when we get a player of the week. But Jordan Morris had a goal and three assists, which I think tied a club record for Seattle. But that first goal, he literally, I think it was Jungwirth is the defender's name. He literally just ran a circle around him, that first goal. It was like playing FIFA on rookie and just running a circle around him. Um, and yeah, Jungwirth had a really bad game. I think he cost him on another goal too. And then you had, um, I, don't, I don't remember his name, but it was a clearance and it fell right to Rui Diaz and then Rui Diaz passed it to Jones, I think, right for a goal. It was a tap-in. So it was just like, it felt like a bunch of individual errors costing them as much as it could cost them. Like, this whole man-marking scheme, if you had to identify the extreme worst-case scenario, I think you could point to this game. Because it was just individuals not clearing the ball, just not. And like you said, they're bench players, so kind of expecting them to compete with arguably the best team in MLS kind of seems unfair. But it was just Seattle's individual talent being a million times better on the field and it showed. And like Josh said, they really didn't give up. I think they scored like four or five goals in that first half, which I think was some kind of a record. I'm not sure about that. But, yeah, it was just the combination of everything that could go wrong did go wrong for San Jose in that game. And we saw it in a 7-1 to loss, which, like Josh said, could have been a lot worse. Connor, what did you think about Seattle's win? I didn't watch the game, but I saw some of the highlights, and San Jose just looked completely dysfunctional. Uh, you mentioned that it was all their subs. That makes sense, because they did not look like an MLS team. Uh, I get that you've got to rotate your squad in a long season, and Seattle are probably better than the Galaxy, so maybe just sort of take the loss and try to really push it uh, full force against LA but even still to get embarrassed 7-1 is that's pretty bad uh I don't really know what else to say it's just dreadful Josh what did you have to add on this to be fair to San Jose they just haven't gotten any players I mean they just don't they don't spend and I think they signed a player on loan permanently over the offseason and they got that one center back Osvaldo Alanis so, honestly, it's not that surprising, again, with the benefit of hindsight. So, I just feel for San Jose. I, I think the players love Almeida, and I think he's doing the best he can with the situation he's in. But until that front office gets him better players, he's never going to be able to fully execute his game plan, his scheme. Didn't they just sell Erickson? 
Yes, and they got rid of, again, in hindsight, one of their most important players. He didn't do a lot of flashy things for them, but boy, did he help them out a lot. And it's so far, it seems like they are sorely missing him. Again, I hope the front office helps Almeida. I love seeing him coach in the league, and I think he deserves the proper players so that he can do and work his magic. But moving on, uh, LAFC, they also had a rough midweek game. They lost 3 nothing to Real Salt Lake. I don't know why, but man, RSL has LAFC's number, and it is crazy. Every time they go out there, Demir Krylock and the rest of Real Salt Lake, they just know what to do against LAFC. However, LA did turn things around last night, Sunday night. They did beat Portland, I believe. Uh, no, it wasn't on the road. It was it was in LA because there wasn't a whole lot of wildfire smoke. But they beat Portland 4-2, to so a good turnaround win for them. However... They were struggling to score goals, which is something I never thought I would ever say about LAFC. Drew, what did you think about LAFC struggling so heavily through the middle of the week? And are things turned around for them? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so first I think we talked about this. We haven't mentioned it yet. Uh, they beat a Sebastian blanco Portland who uh, just confirmed that he'll miss the rest of the season. So obviously a super good player for Portland. So that's obviously a big blow for them. Um, but LAFC, I, it's interesting because I look toward the other side when thinking of LAFC when you mentioned them not scoring a goal. I look at the defense, and the last time they shut out an opponent was their first game of the year. I think it was their first game. It was against Miami. Oh, that's the right. First, the last time they shut out an opponent. And again, when you think of LAFC, you think of winning games 5-3, 5-2. But it feels like they're on the other end of this of that score line. And again, coming back and beating Portland 4-2 to in typical LAFC fashion, I think... Is a really good sign that they're able to make these bounce back uh, performances, but still, I mean, and I think you could look at maybe a Twesta coming back um, when he does come back. I don't think he can't. He has came back yet. Yeah, he I think returned. That could help. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, yeah. but he came back against Portland off the bench. I uh, came on in like the sixtieth or seventieth minute. Okay, so that's a good sign. Yeah, and I think he's gonna help a little bit, but still, I mean. Yeah, the defense has got to figure it out. You're not shutting teams out, and it's a lot easier to win when the other team doesn't score. So I'm looking on the other side of that. I'm looking at the defense, and again, they haven't been known for good defense, but they they got to do something because you have you shut out Miami in their first ever MLS game. So you have expectations to win the league, to win Supporter Shield, to win championships. And hate to be that old man telling kids to get off my lawn, but defense wins championships, and that's not really clicking right now for LAFC. Connor, what have you thought about LAFC's run as of late? I think they're a team who's trying to grasp with all of their injuries. Up until now, they haven't really been hit by that many injuries when you really think about it. Like, Rossi hasn't really ever been hurt. Uh, Vela's never been hurt up until now. I don't think Atuesta was hurt very often. So losing some very, very key players is obviously going to be a bit of a shock I guess to them and they sold one of their best center backs this offseason to Nashville so I think it's just a matter of them figuring out who they are without their best players and I think that's going to be very beneficial for them in the long run and it will cause some growing pains you know when you play RSL and lose 3-0 that's going to happen but you'll come back and you'll beat Portland 4-2 and that shows that you are still a very good team and that you have that quality to still beat very good competition, albeit that they're missing their best player. So I think it's just sort of a season where LAFC have looked kind of human, which we aren't used to because of how good they've been up until now. So I think people are kind of overreacting a little bit to their quote-unquote struggles, but I think they're still one of the best teams in MLS, and we can't lose sight of that fact. Yeah, for sure. I I think you bring up a good point, Connor. It's not so much that they're really doing that bad. It's just we're so used to and seeing them, and and we're we're expecting them to be so good all the time just because that's how they've been, that this dip in their form has been almost shocking in comparison to how they normally play. As they get at Twesta back, though, I'm sure they'll be they'll be just fine. They'll recover. He seems to be an incredible, an incredibly important part of their team. Which should he be sold? Which I'm I'm pretty sure could happen in the winter, maybe next summer. Hopefully, they'll have a good backup plan in place 
for what happens. I don't think they'd want to experience this again. Michael but, Bradley. Oh man, that's a that's got to be a hard pass. I understand why. I think him being under his father, Bob Bradley, would be interesting. I don't know, man. Maybe for like depth, like kind of like a leadership thing. Like you know, maybe last year of his Toronto career. FC will never sell Michael Bradley. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. But uh, moving on. Speaking of Toronto, they're still in the top three in the Eastern standings. We've got MLS standings coming up. Uh, Columbus leading the pack easily, big time, twenty four points. Philadelphia in second, twenty one, tied with Toronto. So the East has all three of the best teams points wise in the entire. MLS, Sporting Kansas City still leading the way in the West, 20 points. Seattle with 18 in third, Minnesota. And LAFC, as we just mentioned, they're now up to fourth. They've been kind of middling near that playoff line the last few weeks. But they're tied with LA Galaxy for, for fourth in the West. So that's getting a little spicy. We're going to get yet another El Trafico in the next phase of games. Maybe, maybe not getting a little burned out by all these El Traficos, or I guess Los Traficos is what you would call it. <laughs> a little Spanish there for you. Um, any thoughts on these standings from you guys? I feel like it hasn't really changed in the last couple of weeks. Toronto are the best. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Seattle being up there, considering where we saw them during MLS's back, not that surprising considering they're a second half of the season kind of team, and this entire season's in the second half of the season. So... I expect them to continue doing well, and that 7-1 to one win is just going to help them even more. I think they also have a game in hand on SKC and a few of the other teams, so that's something else to consider. Drew, you got any thoughts on standing so far? Um, not a whole lot. I do want to say that I am very happy to see Minnesota United up there. I have expressed my love for them singing Wonderwall, so anytime Minnesota United gets up there, I am very big fan of. Um, but San Jose being as far, I think they are 11th. Yeah, they're only ahead of Vancouver by one point. And San Jose, it was a semifinal run in MLS's back um, that people kind of expected. They were kind of shocked, and San Jose has kind of turned to San Jose earthquake form, unfortunately. Quarterfinal, not semifinal, quarterfinal appearance. But still, I mean, I thought that was pretty shocking to see them do what they did, but to see them only one point ahead of the Vancouver Whitecaps. And maybe Vancouver playing teams in the States might help that. So I'm pretty sure to see San Jose down there um, from the run they had. And excited to see Minnesota. I feel like they've flown under the radar. They had that U.S. Open Cup final run last year. And things have only been going up from their expansion season 2017. So I'm excited to see that. Um, but Player of the Week, uh, Sebastian Legette won it last week, which I think, Josh, did you say that's who you voted for? Yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah, his brace. But, the bike, yeah, yeah, that bike, yeah, yeah. Um, but today, Jordan Morris was named Player of the Week. That came out today. Um, Connor, are you okay with Jordan Morris getting it? Did you have any other players you thought should get it? Any honorable mentions? Definitely not any Canadian players. No players from the Canadian teams Connor was going to mention. Not at all. Uh-huh, yeah. It's, what I do find very frustrating about this whole thing is the Canadian teams are only playing, like, one game a week, so they don't get, like, the two games to really bump up that scoring. That's true. Uh, which has been a little frustrating. I have two players of the week, though. First one, Stefan, I believe, no, not Stefan, Safir Tider. He had a goal, two assists, in Montreal's win against Vancouver, and that was huge for their potential Voyagers Cup. Going to the final of that... And Anton walks for no, creating, no. <laughs> Get out creating of here. this gorgeous for podcast. You're, you're saying he's he's creating for Nashville, right? <laughs> yep, for Nashville oh. and for this podcast because he couldn't have helped Dagger. anyone anymore. That's mean. And That's just mean. you're welcome, MLS Multiplex Podcast listeners, the three of you who are still listening to this. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, now you get to hear Josh and Drew just complain endlessly, and that's the best podcast material when we're complaining. Shout out to my friend Grant. He just subscribed the other day, and he started with podcast number one tonight. So when he hears this in a few weeks, after he's finally caught up through six months of podcasts, Grant, there you go, Grant. I am so sorry out. for the early podcasts. I'm also that's so sorry for the early podcasts, because if you didn't know, Josh didn't have a pop filter. For the first few. <laughs> if you don't know what a pop filter doesn't sound like, watch out for your ears. It sounds like this when you say a P, which will deafen you. So 
throughout the entire edit, I had to cut out every time he said the word letters P, C, B, and I think it was T. Probably. And cut that out and fade it. So you couldn't hear those single letters. The audio must have sounded just absolutely terrible. Since then, we've gotten pop filter, or Josh has gotten a pop filter, and we're still sorting through audio issues. I know a couple weeks back, we had Drew in a bit of a situation where he had like a bit of echo, which unfortunately I can't fix. And that same week, I didn't record the right mic, which as somebody who's trying to go into sport media, I should probably be doing. But we're getting there. There are some growing pains. We're hoping to get on the MLS Multiplex website pretty soon. We've reached out to the site a couple of times, and uh, they're still pushing us back a little bit just because of the whole merger and everything that's going on there. But hopefully we'll get there. Uh, but if you're listening, thank you. And shout out Drew's friend, or Josh's friend, and probably Drew's friend Grant. who's listening to this. Grant. Uh, shout anyway. out you, because none of my friends listen to this. <laughs> you gotta get him. Gotta get him involved. Dude, all my friends hate soccer. Time to uh, time to flip them over to the dark side. I've but tried, and they hate me. <laughs> back to player of the week. What started all of this? Yeah, Anton I, Walks and <laughs> Safer Tight Air. No, no, no more, Anton. I <laughs> did not cast my vote this week. I had a little bit, I had too much going on. Didn't get around to it. But I would have picked Jossie's artist for his goals against Cincinnati and his goal against Chicago, who blew a fantastic 2-0 lead. So good for them back in Soldier Field, letting their fans down. I feel, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> Drew, your player of the week. I'm going to be super boring and say I'm going to side with the MLS writers and me, uh, fan vote, I think is how this mm-hmm. is decided. I'm going to say Jordan Morris as well, um, a goal and three assists, which tied a Seattle Sounders club record. I don't know who had the record. For a single game, three assists in a single game was a club record. So I'm going to be super boring and say Jordan Morris for that one. Um, seven one win, obviously, it's kind of hard. And I thought he played really well at most of his back tournament. I feel like he's kind of getting snubbed with the attention. And I think this game was really good sign of how good he's been playing. Um, so, yeah, now to the wonderful part, upcoming matches of the week. I don't think any of us picked Seattle-San Jose last week. but if Because we did, why would we? <laughs> that's how MLS works, man. I picked uh, D.C. and the Red Bulls, and D.C. again did not score a goal. So that was exciting. Um, but yeah, Josh, I guess we'll start with you. What's your upcoming game of the week that you're keeping your eye on? Yeah, there's a, a few, you know, finally teams are starting to branch out from their original like groupings. So we're going to see some some different matchups happening. And initially, I kind of wanted to pick Philadelphia and Montreal because I think I think Montreal can beat Vancouver this week, midweek and secure that spot in the Voyager's Cup. And I wonder how that will affect them going into Philadelphia, who is, I think on paper, a better team. So Philadelphia should win that. So I kind of picked that as a sleeper game. But the game I'm really interested in seeing is Columbus-Nashville. Columbus, best team in the league so far. They're doing a great job amassing all those points, leading the way for the Supporter Shield, if that's being handed out this year. And Nashville, who's riding pretty high after a very good game against quote-unquote rivals at Atlanta United. So I'm curious to see if they're going to be able to carry that momentum over against the best team in the league. Intriguing for me. Connor, what do you have for your upcoming game of the week? I'm so glad you picked me first because I have a feeling I'm about to steal Drew's. (laughs) I'm going with the lone Friday night game, Seattle Sounders versus LAFC. Those are two just such good teams. And lone Friday night, 10 p.m., I think that's going to be it. A really good game back and forth and Seattle versus LAFC are always good games so I feel like it's going to be hard for me to go wrong but now saying that it's just going to be a complete just dead game and like 0-0 nothing's going to happen and it's just going to be so boring. Drew what is your game of the week and did I steal it? You did not you came really close though um, I am picking a Wednesday night game. I think it's on Wednesday. Hold your, hold your horses here, folks. You got to double check. Yeah, it's a Wednesday night. Uh, San Jose in Portland because after San Jose letting in seven goals, I want to see if it gets anywhere. Surely there's no way they let in more than seven, but it's MLS. So if it happens, I'm here for it. 
Um, and yeah, these are two of the worst defenses in the league. I think San Jose is the worst defense in the league. They've let in 26 goals. And yeah, no one else has let in that many. Uh, LAFC is second with 20, letting in 24 goals. And Portland and Vancouver are next letting in 22 goals. So all the bad defenses turn out to be in the Western Conference, which makes for a lot of really entertaining soccer. So I am going with the Portland Timbers and the San Jose Earthquakes as my match to watch this week. So keep your eyes peeled. A lot of really good matches going on. They start again Wednesday uh, as we're recording this on Monday. So get a couple days off and then soccer comes back flying at us fast as usual. But wrap it up here, getting close to an hour. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, as always, please visit the website at MLSMultiplex.com for a lot of really awesome written content. As games keep going, transfer rumors keep happening. Um, our writers are doing a really good job of covering that. Um, and please visit us on social media, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Connor at CWG Somerville, and Josh at Josh underscore Bolin, and the website at MLS Multiplex. Um, to check out our fun rants through MLS. Um, and please, again, uh, leave reviews. Uh, we love hearing what you guys have to say and learning how we can get better as the podcast keeps going on. And like we mentioned last week, uh, Connor and his fun six-hour class. So keep an eye on the Twitters uh, for upload schedules and when this episode drops. So thank you guys again so much for listening. Please visit the website and leave a review, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.